Coming up in this tragically overdue episode of the Linux for Everyone podcast, a new community distro challenge, a new job, the launch of Tech for Everyone, the launch of Linux for Everyone magazine, two brand new merch stores, some nerdy words about the command line that just might surprise you, and my interview with Thomas, the creator of Linux distribution Draugr OS. Let's go already! Olá, aqui é o Fábio e você está ouvindo Linux for Everyone, diretamente de São Bernardo do Campo, Brasil. Seja bem-vindo. everybody. Welcome back, finally, to Linux for Everyone, and welcome home. It has been a minute um, since we last spoke on this podcast. It's 2021, so Happy New Year. Uh, there is a new president of the United States. I have a new job. Two merchandise stores have launched. Uh, we had an earthquake in Croatia. Let's see. Oh, Linux for Everyone magazine has launched. Tech for Everyone has launched. Um, it's been yeah, it's been a long time, and uh, I apologize for that. But it doesn't make any sense to me to waste your time with excuses. I will just say I'm starting to shake off the dust, and uh, I'm going to get this podcast back on track. So I guess welcome to episode 45. And wherever you're listening from, and uh, whatever you're listening on, thanks a lot for being here. So let me just get this enormous amount of housekeeping out of the way and get everybody uh, up to speed on what's been happening. So first, Linux for Everyone magazine. Uh, that is a new publication. Well, it's it's been around for about two months, uh, but it's over on medium.com. You can find it at medium.com slash Linux for Everyone. And the idea behind this was to take uh, what I had been doing at Forbes, and I'm, I'm not really at Forbes full-time anymore, but we'll get to that, um, and open up the Linux coverage to more contributors and, and let people basically bring in the community to share their, their passion and their knowledge and their insights or discoveries or whatever about Linux and open source and bring it all in under this one umbrella. So that is Linux for Everyone magazine. And it's been pretty cool so far. Uh, the neat thing about that is it's not, it's not really a, uh, I don't know, I guess you'd call it a revenue generating thing. It's, it's definitely more of a, a passion project uh, for me and for the writers that are on board but writers, uh, writers who do get accepted into the Medium Partner Program can choose to make anything that they publish on Linux for Everyone magazine. They can kind of put that behind like the the Medium paywall, and uh, and then it's only going to be for Medium members to read. But then they they get a few bucks for publishing their words, and they get a few more bucks, especially if Medium chooses to distribute it and kind of publicize it, which they have actually done for uh, several of our stories. But here's what's cool about it is even even when we publish something on Elfori magazine and it is you know quote unquote behind a paywall, 
Medium gives us a friend code, like a friend URL. And so I can share that URL on, you know, Telegram and Discord and Twitter and email and everywhere else. And you'll be able to kind of just slip around the paywall with that link and read the story. And so it's been um, it's been really great. And I want to give a shout out to all of the writers who have jumped on board so far. We've got Justin, we've got Oliver, we've got James, Jerry, Vega D, Alex, uh, David, Stephen, Michael, Dave, again, Dave's RoboShack, uh, Alan Diggs, a.k.a. Schickle, and Alexander Dinkle. Uh, and it's just been, it's been really cool watching everyone come together and share their love for Linux under under this one roof and that's that's kind of what you know that's kind of what Linux for everyone was was uh intended to be it was um it, it's not something that I want in the future to I don't want it to be this solo thing I don't want it to be just about Jason you know I want to bring back um Linux plus coffee I want to have more people on the show I want Linux for everyone to be you know Jason Evangelo and friends Jason Evangelo and the Linux for everyone community. So that's kind of what I'm trying to build over there on Medium. And um, I'm hoping that, that we can also extend that mentality to the podcast and the YouTube channel as well. And on that note, here's a little thing I wrote over there on Medium. Uh, this is going to surprise many of you who have followed me from the very beginning. I'm kind of a command line fan now. And uh, I had some very effusive things to say about it. So here is a little piece called The Real Reason Linux Users Love the Command Line. When I started my own Linux journey, I was adamant about not even touching a terminal window, as if the command line was this diseased, disgusting thing. If I can't do it with a GUI, then I'm not even interested in this distro, I'd say stubbornly. I would get visibly upset when stumbling across all those tutorials online that use command line instructions when, in my eyes, far easier graphical approaches existed. I mean, why on earth were these guys showing us how to make an application executable using the command line? Why not just find it in your file manager, right-click it, select properties, go to the permissions tab, and check the appropriate box to make it executable? That seemed more intuitive to me. Or maybe... It was just what felt correct after two decades of using Windows. Making a bootable USB stick with the command line, launching a terminal window to install a driver, or encode a video with FFmpeg? Are you insane? That was nearly three years ago, and my stance has gradually shifted under the weight of experience. But my early computing days still bear a striking resemblance to Oliver Kelly's. We have a really cool Linux magazine over at Medium, and Oliver Kelly wrote a piece where he says, I spent 20 years using Windows, and the only time that stands out from when I used the command line was to ping an IP address or google.com to test and diagnose network issues. In Linux, I use it all the time, and I don't even second-guess it. At the end of this article, he posed a question that was deceptively difficult for me to answer at first. Why do Linux users seem to love the command line so much? So I pondered his question for a while. The easy answer is that it feels empowering to use the terminal. There's this intoxicating, geek-driven power user fantasy satisfaction to making our computer respond instantly 
to our commands. The keyboard, mightier than the mouse, weaponized to do our bidding, transforming words into binary and binary into action. The other easy answer is that, honestly, it really can be that much faster. Is sudo apt install VLC audacity OBS studio telegram desktop steam, etc. A faster way to install those apps than searching for them individually in a distro software store? Absolutely. But it goes deeper than that. It goes much deeper than that. I've come to realize the true appeal of the command line, it's the consistency, the uniformity, the reliability. There is a certain level of comfort in that. What three years of distro hopping has taught me is this. No matter which Debian or Ubuntu-based distribution I decide to use on any given day, installing software will always be the same combination of words through the same terminal window that's guaranteed to be there. I don't need to be familiar with the file browser or know how to navigate that particular desktop environment. I just need two things, a simple terminal window and my words. And despite my newfound warm fuzzies for the command line, I'll always insist on there being a GUI alternative, especially, especially for new desktop Linux users. But I have to wonder if their journey will eventually unfold the same way mine did. I was led to the door. And after a while, I discovered the entire buffet on my own. I won't use the command line for everything, especially not for any video rendering stuff. I'll simply use it when it makes sense to use it. Like all things Linux, I love having the freedom to make that choice. So it was about two and a half years ago now that I first dove down this crazy fun Linux rabbit hole, and um, the distro discoveries haven't really stopped since then. You know, I I wish I could say that I've settled on you know using nothing but Ubuntu or nothing but Arch, nothing but Pop OS, nothing but Elementary, but nope, there's just too much cool stuff out there to to enjoy and to check out and to tweak and and share. Now, something that I used to do at Forbes was uh, this concept of a community Linux distro challenge where we would all kind of get together one month or two months and try a new distribution or maybe something that uh, we haven't tried before, not necessarily new, but something unfamiliar. And we would just chat about it and kind of try to make it our daily driver and try to get everything done and and uh, you know maybe learn some some cool stuff along the way. And that kind of took a backseat for a while, but I am bringing it back, and it's kind of tied to the whole launch of Linux for Everyone magazine as well, um, having having the opportunity to maybe get some uh, written opinions from various people in, in a central place where they can easily publish it and share it. So I've been playing around with Garuda Linux, and this is a distribution based on Arch that is uh, really, really gorgeous. Their flagship is uh, one called the Garuda KDE Dragonized Edition, and there's also the Garuda KDE Media Edition, and these are bloated in the best way. Uh, it uses 
the uh, KDE Plasma desktop, but a suiteified. So it uses the the sweet theme, uh, but they've kind of injected their own like DNA and branding into it. And it's just abs. It's kind of neon and retro looking and just beautiful. Anyway, there are several things that that really jumped out about Garuda Linux to me. What I feel like Garuda Linux is trying to do is make Arch more usable and accessible for uh, beginners who who don't necessarily want to spend a lot of time in the terminal, right, using the command line. And they've got a lot of really useful features. So I'm just going to run down a few of them that, that kind of jumped out at me. Uh, number one, there's a custom Garuda gamer menu for installing all kinds of gaming software. I mean, all kinds of gaming software. Just check the box and go. It ships with the Linux TKG kernel, which is optimized for multimedia and gaming. So that's something that definitely distinguishes it. Uh, there's a GUI for managing all of your kernel versions. Auto CPU Freak, which we've talked about here and on YouTube. Auto CPU Freak is enabled by default. So for laptop users, already a really, really good start. Uh, the ButterFS, BTRFS file system, and TimeShift are loaded up here out of the box. So you've got automatic system snapshots before every single update, which is really, really, really useful. Uh, there's a GUI for, for tweaking and switching common grub boot options. And depending on which flavor you choose, it is just loaded to the brim with software. Uh, so, you know, blessing and a curse, depending on what kind of user you are. But but check this out. There are almost a dozen, I think, uh, different flavors for you to play with. There's the Garuda KDE Dragonized and KDE Media Editions. There's XFCE, Gnome, LXQT, KWIN, Cinnamon, Mate, Wayfire, Qtile, i3WM, Rekbox, and then there's a Bare Bones one. Uh, that's kind of like um, probably similar to something like Manjaro Architect. But wow, um, it is just, it, it's one of those distros that, you know, take the the KDE Media Edition, for example. It's one of those where I go to install a piece of software and it's it's just already loaded up. It's already there. <laughs> and I love that. Anyway, uh, there's no there's no hard and fast rules to this. If you want to join this adventure and participate in the in the Garuda Linux discussion, there's a bunch of ways you can do that. Um, you can join our Telegram group. You can throw your thoughts into an email and uh, send that to linuxforeveryone at pm.me. That hasn't changed. Linuxforeveryone at pm.me. Uh, you can you can tweet Linux the number for everyone on Twitter. Bunch of ways. Um, but I think the the Oh, and you can also join the official Garuda uh, Telegram group as well. So there's a lot of ways for you to chime in and, and kind of share this experience. And feel free to use whichever flavor you want. Um, a benefit, of course, to doing an organized community distro challenge like this is that the developers of this distro, they get a lot more feedback and maybe they can help squash some bugs or maybe they can get some feature suggestions from you guys. So all of this, um, you know, having all of these extra users come in really does help. Uh, I think the, the state of the distribution and helps them make it a more polished and, and better experience for everybody. So you guys know by now where to find all the links. 
They are at Linux, the number four, everyone.com or Linux for everyone fireside.fm. Uh, so in those show notes, you'll find links to all the telegram groups. You'll find links to, uh, links to Linux for everyone magazine, to the YouTube channel and to drum roll, please. That was really bad. Tech for everyone. Tech for Everyone is a brand new community. Uh, it's an extension of Linux for Everyone. It's for people who just love tech, period. And it really takes the same approach that I've tried to to take with Linux for Everyone, and that is, you know, fun and approachable conversations about consumer tech, basically. So the mood we're going for, like, imagine if you call tech support, but the call is actually fun. Um, and there's going to be a bunch of features and segments like community voice, which will carry over to tech for everyone. That's a, a regular feature that highlights your opinions and stories about a certain topic. Uh, smartphones, smart audio, smart homes, smart watches, smart fridges, um, and you know, long-term reviews. Like, what is it like to have a MacBook Pro or an Oryx Pro after two or three years? How's that holding up? Uh, tips and tricks to make your tech life easier. The weirdest gadgets you've never heard of will be um, doing kind of a wheel of fate and uh, checking out stuff. Well, I don't even want to name it here, but uh, there's some weird, weird, twisted tech out there. You know, help with building or buying a basic uh, PC or a kick-ass gaming PC. Just a lot of different things that uh, I think are maybe being overlooked in mainstream media because mainstream media now has to serve that search algorithm. And this is why I like voice.com because voice is encouraging creators to, to come together and write for people and not for algorithms. Um, they, they encourage engagement and an interaction with the content and they don't give a crap about views so I came in and uh, I'm basically a, my official title is Community Space Manager for Linux for Everyone. Oh, no, sorry. <laughs> Community Space Manager, tech for everyone at, uh, at voice.com. And so this is actually a salaried position where I get to uh, write whatever I'm passionate about. And that will include some Linux stuff as well, by the way. And this is where it gets even cooler. I get to assemble a team, and uh, the first members of my team are going to be, first and foremost, my wife, Lana. She's going to be writing about some really fun stuff there. And Jerry Morrison, who you guys might know as uh, the writer of the Linux for Everyone theme song. And we're also in a band called More Sun, and we're working on some new music, hopefully very soon. And there'll be more writers to, to be added over time as well. But uh, if you guys want to know anything more about voice, you can definitely hit me up privately. I don't want to take up too much of your time here. And this is, after all, Linux for everyone. This isn't about tech for everyone. But the importance of this move for me is that I am no longer, um, I don't have that, that weight, that anxiety of wondering how my posts will perform at Forbes, wondering if what I'm writing is going to put food on the table. And, uh, and now... I can I can write really for people, like truly for people. Write about stuff that matters to me, that's personal, that that that's helpful to others, 
without having to, you know, resort to clickbait headlines and and beating the same topic into the ground because that's what Google likes to show people. Anyway, I've got a I've got a whole write up on on Voice about this. Um, the the title of the of the post is actually called Why Voice because I want to write for people and not search engines, and that is in a nutshell why I'm there now and why I'm doing this. So uh, I hope that you guys will check it out. You don't have to be a member to read it. You can read anything on the site without signing up. But if you do want to sign up, here's where it gets cool. Voice is kind of Patreon 2.0. And I'm not going to get into like the tokenomics or the, the crypto blockchain stuff that, that it's all built on. But suffice to say, if you are a member of Voice.com and you're in the Tech for Everyone community, None of that costs anything, but when you like it, when you add your voice, that's actually a little mini game called Voice It, when you add your voice to a post or when you leave a comment, you are literally financially supporting that writer. And again, if you want to hear more about that, uh, feel free to send me a message, send me an email, whatever, and um, I'll, try to, um, I'll try to actually put some explainers on the, the voice site as well. But uh, it did launch yesterday, it launched on Monday, and there's a few stories up already, and there's more to come, and between, so between this, between Tech for Everyone, Linux for Everyone magazine, and uh, still trying to do YouTube videos, and trying to revive the podcast, and, and work on some music, and uh, it's, it's been crazy, but um, I, I want to thank you guys for being patient, and for sticking around, I really do appreciate you. Uh, okay. A little bit more housekeeping now. There's so much, but I figure we'll get, we'll get this all out of the way and then we can kind of move forward when we get to episode 46. In the, the absence of the podcast, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of sad actually, because if you're a podcast only listener, if that's kind of the only place that you consume the stuff that I'm putting out into the world, you may have missed that, uh, I actually launched two brand new Linux for Everyone merch stores. And this is really cool, especially if you're outside of the US, because there's a European store that is completely different that has, um, you know, that caters to people internationally. And there is, you guys, seriously, a ton, a ton of stuff over on (laughs) these merch stores. Uh, The URLs are going to be shop.spreadshirt.com slash L4E store or shop.spreadshirt.co.uk slash L4E store. And I mean, there's, we've got tea for everyone mugs, coffee for everyone mugs, make it Linux. Uh, There's, there's, there's stickers. There are just shirts and, and masks and uh, hoodies and jackets and so much stuff. So check it out if you want to get yourself some, shiny new Linux for everyone merch. And here's what's really neat about it. This is why I moved from uh, Teespring over to Spreadshirt. You can customize anything. So like if you want to put your own text on one of our designs, you can totally do that. If you want to resize the logo, put it somewhere else, you can totally do that. If you want to add your own image or whatever, you can do that. And it just costs like a couple extra bucks. And you've got a piece of of merchandise that is uniquely yours. So check it out. Links, of course, will be in the show notes. And um, as always, you know, if you guys 
if you guys do plunk down some money for like a mug or anything else on the store, uh, I do get a share of that. And that, that really helps support the show. And I appreciate that too. All right. Woo. Did we get everything? I think we got everything. I'm pretty sure we got everything. Really has been a minute. Um, so I wanted to close this, uh, make this kind of the second half of this episode, an interview that I did with Thomas. Thomas is the creator of Draugr OS, which is another Arch-based Linux distribution worth checking out. And we did this interview actually back in, I think it was November, but it's uh, I think it aged well. And I did post a few uh, a few segments from this interview over on our YouTube channel, but I wanted to kind of just, you know, it, it feels like it belongs here. I like having these conversations with developers. And uh, I do not assume that everyone who listens to this podcast is also watching or consuming every single video that we put out on on library or YouTube. So I wanted to have it here, and hopefully with the uh, all the chapter markers, if you're using that feature, the chapters in the podcast, then you can skip around at will. I had a really great time talking to Thomas, and uh, I hope you guys will check out his distribution as well. It's Draugr OS, and um, I'll tell you what, we'll roll the interview, and I'll come back at the end to wrap things up. All right. So here is my chat with Thomas. And I know you as the developer of Draugr? <laughs> Draugr OS. Draugr. Um, okay, Draugr. Yes. Um, is that after an Elder? Is that an Elder Scrolls reference? Or no? Yes. Is it? Awesome. <laughs> it is. That's cool. Um, so I chose that name specifically because Skyrim is my favorite video game of all time. Excellent. And I wanted to pay homage to it. And the spelling specifically is because the first few times I was writing it, mm-hmm. I have terrible spelling. So I wrote it how I thought it was supposed to be spelled. And by the time I realized I was misspelling it, it was too late. Oh, and I man. just ran with oh, it. Oh, no. Oh, man. It, so it was already out there, right? And there was no undoing. It, yep. So. Um, okay, but your, you go by, what is your real world name? Uh, my name's Thomas. Nice to officially meet you because I know we've we've talked sporadically online, but uh, and I I think you know I've been wanting to talk to you on the show for a year or something, mm-hmm. and this year you know this year <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> enough said twenty twenty enough said. I'm wondering if you would like to tell us uh, your origin story. I love hearing people's Linux origin stories. Like, where where did you start this adventure? I was in eighth grade, so about six years ago-ish. Um, I got a message from my teacher at school that I had been selected to receive a free computer from this collaboration between Google and a nonprofit called Cramden Institute. 
And cram Cramden, what they do is they take old computers that have been donated to them, refurbish them, and then install Linux on it. Um, and I was given this computer, taught how to use it at a very basic level by uh, some Google employees, and it had Linux on it. Um, the distro it was running at the time was something called Ubermix. Ubermix. Uh, yeah, Ubermix. Super wow. weird. It, it's an Ubuntu-based distro that's designed for students. Okay. And Ubuntu, it was based on Ubuntu 12.04. Gotcha. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, so precise, I believe it was. Um, and it had this really weird desktop environment. Um, think almost like something you would use on a phone or a tablet. Um, it wasn't using Unity. So like GNOME. Like, like GNOME. <laughs> Sorry, I no, I mean I, I guess I picture GNOME as kind of a tablet like or yeah. phone like interface, but Right. Um, but it wasn't. Um I actually discovered that I could have their desktop environment and Unity running simultaneously. Oh so I would I would have like this whole full screen thing that was super designed for touch screens and Unity over top of it. Um I tried contacting them at one point to try to get the source code. But they never responded. Um, so I don't know. But I I kind of liked it. Um, and that was my first foray into Linux. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, I was the stupid kid who thought that doing sudo app update straight up updates your entire system. I didn't know you had to do sudo app upgrade as well. So I was sitting there with a super out-of-date system. I won't tell you how long it took me to learn basic command line stuff. Oh, yeah, so, right. yeah. What really got me into Linux from that point was, um, so the hard drive and it started failing. Um, oh, and this was a really old 80 gig hard drive, you know, so it was, it was on its last legs when I got it anyway. Um, so I went out and bought like a one terabyte hard drive. That way I knew I had enough space, but that was the time that I had to learn all your basic Linux user stuff. So how to make a bootable SSD, how to install an operating system what an ISO is, stuff like that. Um, and that w it was and, kind of a necessity for upgrading and right. repairing your, your, your system, right? Right. Yeah. And um, me and my stupid little world thought I was actually running raw Ubuntu. So I switched to raw Ubuntu and um, that started my distro hopping days. Um, ah, yes. Because the system had a gigabyte of RAM. And let me tell you, Unity... Oh needs more than a gig of RAM. Wow. <laughs> Hopped around trying to find something that would suit what I liked because I had learned at that point to love Unity, mm -hmm. but also wouldn't make it to where I could only have four Firefox tabs at a time. Um, <laughs> so I tried most of the flavors of Ubuntu and I think one or two others, um, but I kept coming back to Ubuntu proper because of Unity. Mm. Um, and around that time I started getting into programming because I didn't know sudo apt auto remove yet. <laughs> and I thought I had to manually go into my boot partition and delete kernels. So you can imagine, <gasps> oh, yeah. So you can man. imagine me nuking my system several times using that. It's not how we learn uh, though. I mean, I, yeah. I know that, I know that it can be. Uh, it can be a little bit traumatic while it's happening, but we always, at least I, always tend to look back on those those failures and uh, and go, you know, I, I really learned quite a bit from 
really messing that up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I always tell people when I'm trying to get into Linux that you will mess up your system at least once. Don't run sudo rm-rf forward slash. Do not. <laughs> the difference, but, the difference, kids, is that you'll mess it up instead of having somebody like Microsoft mess it up for you. See, that's the key. Ownership. That, <laughs> yes. It's your own fault. It's not Microsoft's fault. You have no one else to blame but yourself for once. I, I ended up learning how to do things after getting into programming in order to try to fix an issue I didn't have. Um, and from there, it just kind of took off. And I had crazy ideas like Draugr OS. Okay, so so talk to us about uh, Draugr OS. So Draugr OS was initially a distro meant for emulation. Um, the idea of it was I wanted a game console that mm. I could chuck a Xbox 360, original Xbox, PS3, um, Wii, GameCube, any type of disc that I had physically, I wanted to be able to chuck it into the disk drive and the system immediately detect what game console it was for and start up the appropriate emulator. That, that was a, my dream. Is that a thing now? I mean, can you actually do that with something mm-hmm. like uh, RetroPie or... or? As far as I'm aware, uh, that level of detection right. is not yet available. Yeah, because um, every emulator I've ever played with, it's always like, okay, launch the emulator launch the platform mm-hmm. that you want, and then you'll have your selection of games, not vice versa. Right. That would and, be slick, man. And on top of that, most emulators require you to play the game from a file on your hard drive. You can't play it off the disc. Okay. And I was wanting to play it off the disc because even though I knew that would be slower, um, I knew that for starters, that wouldn't violate DRM. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a thing. Um, but also I'm not, I'm not inclined to play a game I don't have because I, I haven't heard about it probably. And I don't know if I want to play it or not. Um, but the games I have, I know I enjoy. So I definitely want to play them. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that was the idea initially. And early versions of Draugr OS were working towards that. They had hmm. a lot of emulators packed into them, had a massive ISO because of it. But it was how, how big do you, do you remember how big? Uh, just under four gigs. I don't uh, even know if I'd call that massive. I mean, I guess by massive compared to uh, Ubuntu yeah. or, a, you know, a Kibu- or, well, any, I guess, modern distro. But um, I think that Zorin Ultimate is 4.2 gigs, maybe? That all ended when Nintendo started going on their tirade for um, pirated uh, game emulator distribution stuff. Oh, um, hmm. and, and this is the part that I'm open about, but I, I don't, I'm not too proud about it. Um, Draugr OS shipped with the BIOS files for PlayStation two, I think. Yeah. And I like, I know that's the big like, no, no, isn't life. it? The same with the dreamcast yeah. BIOS. I think is those are legally not supposed to be shipped outside of the dreamcast console. Right. Right. Um, yeah. but the reason I did that was because, uh, if you have those BIOS files, then the emulator can use them and you get better performance. Okay. Um, so, so that was like the entire idea, you know, save the user several steps and set up, just ship the BIOS files with it and call it a day. But when Nintendo started doing that, I, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, I don't know what they're going to do with emulators. I don't know if they're going to start tracking down small time 
people like me who are shipping BIOS files. So I just completely mm. switched gears to gaming in general, ripped all the emulators out, ripped out those BIOS files, and here we are today. Um, generic Linux gaming, um, make it yeah. as simple and easy as possible, but give you also the maximum performance possible and as much disk space as possible. So when you install Draugr OS, there's very mm. little on the system. Um, it is supposed to be super lightweight, and, but also at the same time, enable you immediately to do what you want to do. So it comes with Lutris Game Hub, which I f- learned about nice. thanks to you. Nice, um, that's awesome. Really? So you learned yeah. about it. You learned about it from Linux for everyone, and then and then included mm-hmm. it in Draugr. Oh man, that's so cool. Yep. That's so cool. Um, yeah. So there you go. That's that's Draugr uh, OS. Um, it's still uh, a work in progress, as it always is, but it's XF, getting there. XFCE desktop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And is it is it just you? Are you, is it a one man, um, one man plus, plus a community of contributors or? It's two of us. Um, okay. So that we split, we split the development. I do desktop and the other dude, Logan, mm-hmm. um, he does the website. Um, oh, okay. The most, yeah. The most you see me do on the website is the text, occasionally a blog post. Um, I'll contact him if I wanted to add something to the menu. That's about it. Um, I manage the app repository and I do the development on the OS itself. I'm trying to get more contributors because this takes up most of my free time. All in all, I do most of the work. Um, we've had people come in occasionally. They don't help out for too long, but Hey, any help's better than none. I don't like making things into a, which distro is better. So that's, that's not my intent here, but I wanted to ask you what some of the key differences are between Draugr and salient OS just because I have experience with Salient OS, which is also a gaming-focused distro, which also uses XFCE. So uh, I was just curious about some of the differences that people might want to be aware of. Right. So the main differences is, first off, our bases. Salient OS is based off of Arch. Jogger OS is based off of Ubuntu. Aha, um, big difference. Okay. Yes, very mm-hmm. big difference. Um, beyond that, the biggest differences you're going to see is... Um, and I've actually talked to the dude behind Salient OS before, Silent Robot. Um, He's awesome. Salient OS, yeah, he is a really cool guy. Um, Salient OS isn't just geared towards gamers. It's also geared towards content creators. Oh, and true, streamers. true, true. Yeah. Right. Draugr OS is geared explicitly and solely towards gamers. If you want to stream, fantastic. Right. But it's not set up for that out of the box. So you're not um, going to have like OBS and Blender and yeah, you're not going to have editors and yeah, okay, right, gotcha. Um, Salient OS is also a little bit less minimalistic than Draugr OS is. Like you install Draugr OS, you have the bare necessities. You have a terminal, a file manager, and a text editor. I think I have Gedit shipping with it. Um, another big difference is the system installation utility. Um. So Salient OS uses Calamares. We actually have our own in-house system installation utility. And there's a story behind that too. Wow. Isn't that yeah. a lot of, isn't that a ton of work? It is. <laughs> and I didn't want to do it, I but mean, I did. I mean, because couldn't you have just like slapped Ubiquity onto there and just called it a day? No? No. Oh no. Okay. Well, I guess um, it's story time then. I'm trying to think. Nine, ten months ago, I think it was. Um, I was trying to completely change how I do development. 
because I was doing it wrong up until then. I was do had uh, my development uh, version of Jogger OS in a virtual machine, and then I was packaging that down using System Back, mm-hmm. and that's fine and all. But System Back is no longer supported, and I was having issues supporting UEFI. And booting up looked absolutely terrible, and I had humongous ISO, and I had no granularity. It was a mess. Um, So I was changing the entire way I was doing my development, and I knew in doing that I couldn't use system back anymore, and that was okay. That was intentional. Mm -hmm. So I needed to use something else. I tried Ubiquity first because that's the de facto what you use if you're Ubuntu-based. Ubiquity would partition the drives and nothing else. Um, so I tried Calamares hmm. because I knew Calamares was Calamares was modular to an extent. It was fast. It was easy to use, but it would partition the drive and get ten percent of the files on there. But then it would freeze. And I actually ca- talked to the Calamares devs about this, and we could not figure out for the life of us what was going on at the time. Um, all we could figure out was it was something to do with SE Linux issues. And um, it was running into some sort of issue because we weren't using SE Linux and it was expecting us to and none of those properties were set and there was some deep-seated bug having to do with all that deep in the code of Calamares. Wow. So while I was seeing if they could fix that bug, um, I started a sort of proof of concept mm-hmm. Um and that's what became System Installer today. At the time, the back end was entirely Bash, and the front end was entirely Python. But the goal of it wasn't so much something that was actually really usable. It was more of a, can I make a system installation utility that can install a system somewhat reliably in a decent amount of time? Hmm. And it worked, eventually. Eventually. Um, <laughs> yes. Keyword, Eventually. It has been, the entire backend, for the most part, has been rewritten to Python. Mm-hmm. It's got a multi-threaded backend. Um, it's capable of installing any Debian-based distro in about two to three minutes-ish, um, assuming you have a quad-core CPU, an SSD, and a decent network connection, and about four gigs of RAM. Um, and This is my impressed face. My impressed face. Um, when it got to that point, the fastest system installer that I knew of was MX Linux's system installer. Hmm. And they were installing a system in seven minutes. So for a little window of time, we were the fastest on the market. Okay. How, um, in your honest opinion, how easy is it to get Draugr installed? Like, is this a, is this a noob friendly thing or no? Um, that's okay. If it's not, Right now, I'd say it's more intermediate-friendly. Um, it's not nearly as simple or easy as Ubiquity is. I'll be honest about that. Um, mm-hmm. The the manual partitioner, it you literally get a window, and it opens up Gparted, and you have to partition it in Gparted, and then tell it what, um, what partitions to use where. And that was just what I had to do in order to yeah. make um, a manual partitioner, because I... Huh don't know how to make that in a GUI yet. Um, I do have plans to fix that in the future, but for right now, Gparted works great. So how do you feel about the state of gaming on Linux, just in general? 
Um, it's light years better than it was. <laughs> Let's start there. Um, so when I started on Linux, Steam was running on Linux, but Proton was not a thing. Wine was a mess still. Hmm. Um, and I, as a new user, had no idea what to do at all. Um, at this point, if I were coming into Linux, I feel like I, I have a lot of questions, but if somebody told me, hey, go into your Steam settings, go to Steam Play, enable Proton for all these for all titles, and you should be able to play just about anything that isn't Linux native. Um, I'd say, sure, why not? If that yeah, means I can play I mean, Skyrim and Fallout. Yeah. I mean, with with the exception of uh, some, uh, you know, some rather invasive DRM and and stuff like um, mm-hmm. Easy Anti Cheat, right? Mm-hmm. Linux gaming is. Uh, I got into Linux June two thousand eighteen, and I think a month later, or two months later, Valve announced Proton, and I was like, "Man, did I pick the right time to get on this train?" <laughs> <laughs> and then you know, and then we've seen uh, we've seen it, it it gradually ramp up to the point where. Some games are actually more performant on Linux than on Windows, and uh, we're starting to get a lot of the, um, you know, those API level features on on Linux gaming. And aside from the stuff like you know, like like easy anti cheat, man, you can play so much, so much. I mean, like thousands and thousands of Windows only games, which is incredible. But here's the you know. No. I, I like to be a pragmatist, but I also like to be a realist. Uh, there's still so many roadblocks for the average user. What do you think the Linux community and Linux ecosystem in general needs to work towards to to ease some of those pain points for new Linux gamers? Um, well, to start off, you need to make things more one-click. Um, Amen. Yes. Um, what what I think Steam or Valve, sorry, should do to Steam is, let's say a user wants to install, I'm going to throw out a random game, Fallout 4. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let's say they want to play Fallout 4 and Fallout 4 isn't whitelisted. When you hit install, normally Steam throws an error if you don't have Proton set up to sure. allow all games. Right. What they should do instead is have a little window pop up that says, this is not for your operating system. You can override this for all games by clicking OK. Um, this game may not work correctly. You know, big disclaimer, this game right. may not work correctly. Um, but you can go to ProtonDB.com or wherever else to find tips on how to fix this. Would you like to proceed? And then you hit yes or OK or whatever. And it just sets up uh, Proton to allow for all games, like right there, fixes it in your settings, all of that. And I think that would be the smart way of doing it, because doing it like that, people don't have to go digging in their settings, because I don't think it's always clear quite where you need to go look. Um, And a new Linux gamer, even if they're completely disconnected from the Linux community, like I was for the first three and a half years of my Linux career. Dang. Um, wow. Yeah. I, I had no knowledge of the existence of the Linux community for that first three and a half years. That's um, a long outside, time. Yeah. Outside Stack Overflow. <laughs> and let me tell you, Stack Overflow is not welcoming. <laughs> <laughs> it, 
somebody like I was, who was completely disconnected from the Linux community, they could still figure out how to get their system up and going, playing the latest and greatest games that, or their favorite games or whatever mm-hmm. with just one or two clicks. That needs to be the way it is because we think about Linux people as being part of a community. And by and large, that is true. But so often people start Linux and they're completely disconnected from the community. They don't know anybody online or offline. Man, they don't know do where you to think go. That's got, like, I'm sorry to interrupt. It just, it's so, um, it's so unlike the experience that I had where I was, I came into Linux as, you know, as a journalist and someone who already had this online presence. And mm -hmm. I would have, I mean, it would have been a completely different experience without community there from the very beginning. And is that something you think is, is fairly common with new Linux users where they're just kind of um, in the dark and not, not really lifted up by, by community? Yeah. Especially in rural Hmm. areas like I am, like I live in backwoods, North Carolina. And I can tell you right now, in my county, there are two Linux users, me and Logan. And that's it. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. You can go a county away, and there's like 10, but that's it. And when I started Linux, I was all alone. Hmm. And I had to figure out what I was doing from scratch, from base, with zero help. And... I didn't know where to go to find the Linux community. I kept hearing about the Linux community in places, but I didn't know where to go look for it because Mm -hmm. the Linux community is a very ambiguous term. They don't say the Linux community on the Linux for everyone forums or the Linux community on Telegram. They, They don't tell you where to go look or how to get in contact with this community because it's very amorphous. And that's great in all that it's amorphous and you can go all these different places but you need to be like, hey, this is where you go to get in contact with the community. If you don't give these new users the information they need to get in contact with the community, they're going to be like I was, completely alone, completely hmm. unaware of what to do. And if you're someone like me who didn't know programming, you didn't know command line, none of that. You are, you're not tech illiterate, but you're very, very basic user you know you you're not that person who's willing to go into the command line and use them to change your xor comp file so that um the nvidia graphics driver loads up correctly (laughs) if you don't know how to handle all that then you're going to be super lost super quick that's one thing that i think has advanced very quickly in the linux world is uh graphics drivers in general you know i mean oh, obviously yeah. we've got mesa and we've got the open source amd drivers open source intel drivers but specifically nvidia like it for me it's refreshing to see um an active proprietary nvidia driver on the pop os iso or um yep. you know all the ubuntu distros having that proprietary driver available on in the you know during the installation to install because I like easing those pain points. I don't think. Yeah. I I just don't think that wider Linux adoption will happen when we're, you know, dealing with stuff like what you just mentioned. We still have a ways to go, I think. Um, I remember, so my laptop here has a 1050 Ti. Um, and when I got it, the 390 driver was the latest driver. 
and it, it was okay. Um, I had some weird issues at one point with it and my Wi-Fi card, and I don't, I shouldn't have had issues with my Wi-Fi card because I have an Intel Wi-Fi card. It should work out of the box. Yeah. Um, but for some reason, the kernel and the 360 drivers did not like me, or not 360, 390 drivers did not like me. Um, but by the time I got to uh, 415, all of that was ironed out and it was working beautifully. One other thing that I wanted to discuss with you about gaming in general before we move on to your project is when the Linux community, I guess, mm-hmm. when when people in the Linux community are having this conversation about Linux gaming, it's always so focused on Steam. But mm-hmm. Steam is becoming less and less of a dominant force maybe yes thank you uh thank you yeah less and less of a dominant force you know especially with um with companies like epic games securing more and more exclusives Mm -hmm. and uh i mean what's the solution there what is the solution that you prefer for you play origin so for the most part um everything except for epic games um i'm just gonna run it through lutris um, because Lutris works really, really well. I don't use it all the time, um, but if Steam didn't exist, Lutris would be my go-to. Um, okay. For Epic Games specifically, um, I think you might have covered it recently. Uh, I'm not sure about that, so correct me if I'm wrong on that. Um, but Legendary? Um, no, that it's wasn't an open me. S- that wasn't okay. me, but I'm keep uh, talking because I'm interested. Okay. Um, <laughs> So Legendary is an open source Epic Games client that runs natively on Linux. What? Um, yeah. Yeah. It's on okay, GitHub. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, I think it's in beta right now, but it, it's getting good. Real good. I haven't given it a try yet, but there are already plans to get it into the Draugr OS app repository once uh, the next release is out. Um, wow. which will be in, a, in about two years, I think. Um, but that's more than enough time for them to get it stable. <laughs> we follow the, um, we follow the um, words have left me. We cycle? follow the release cycle. Yeah. We follow the LTS release cycle. Oh, okay. um, not, okay. not exactly for Ubuntu. Uh, we're usually several months after that uh, because I want them to be hitting their stable release. And then I'm in beta that way. Any mm. issues that we have, I know are my fault, not yeah. Canonical's fault. Right, right. Because uh, I don't want to yell at Canonical for something that's not their fault. I want to yell them at them for something that's their fault and is completely valid. Because <laughs> let me be honest here, it's okay to yell at someone it's... if they make an issue, okay? If I have, if I make an issue in Draugr OS and is it actually my fault, feel free to yell at me. I deserve it. I really do. Because <laughs> it, it's probably just purity, laziness, or me being, you know, stupid or coding at 3 a.m. and trying to stay awake on caffeine <laughs> it is not a good idea. Um, but if, if you're going to blame somebody for something, you need to make sure that they are actually to blame and don't just blame blame it on them to blame it on someone. You know? Yeah, but that's it's uh, really it's I don't know if you've noticed this, but it's very uh, it's very trendy right now to blame Canonical for everything. And to it is, sorry, it is. I won't, get into um, that. I won't get into that. We love you, yeah. Canonical. I love you. Yes. Um, um, there, there are plans to get it legendary into the Draugr OS app repository eventually. 
um, either when they hit stable or when the next version of Jogger OS is out in a couple of years, um, whichever comes first. Hmm. Um, so, hey, guys, if you if you're if you make legendary and you're listening to this, hurry up. <laughs> maybe uh, maybe legendary needs some additional contributors to speed up the process, maybe. That, that would probably I'm gonna help, have to get um, the word out about that because that's a big deal. I mean, Epic has Epic is becoming a force for better or for oh, yeah. worse, and you know, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, every time I open up Epic Games, it's like, hey, here's a free game for you, and I'm like, all right, I'll take that. Mm-hmm. For you know, when I'm 65 and I have nothing else to do, I'll maybe check that out for a few minutes. Um, yeah. But in all seriousness, though, um, that's that's good to hear because yeah. there, uh, um, you know, there's there's so many entry points to Linux gaming and we need to smooth out all of those if we can, you mm-hmm. know, let me ask you a tough one. Okay. What do you say to all of the people who are like, stop making distros and put your resources and your energy and your money behind a flagship distro? Stop the fragmentation. What, what do you say to those people? So here's the thing. Do we see Android phone manufacturers stopping modding Android anytime soon? No, because their we, overlays because, make right. them unique. Right? Exactly. Um, we want we want distros that cater to a specific audience, just like how Android phone manufacturers want their phones to cater to a certain audience. Look mm-hmm. at Samsung, for instance. The notes, the note lineup. It's supposed to cater towards productivity, business people. So the one UI skin that they have has certain modifications in it that when you have that S pin available, you have new features like being able to draw on your screen when you take a screenshot, stuff like that. Yeah. It's still Android. It's just super modified. It's the same thing with Linux. You know, it's great that you can have, you won't only have a stock Linux I guess you would consider a stock Linux, something like Debian, Ubuntu, Arch, Fedora, OpenSUSE, you know, what you would probably consider the grandfather distros. Sure. Uh, the, the things that everything else is based off of. Mm-hmm. And that's great. But you're going to want sometimes a modified distro that caters to something very specifically. Um, for instance, there is a distro, I don't think it's publicly available, for a specific supercomputer in China. And they made their own specific distro because they wanted to get the most performance possible out of their supercomputer, which makes a lot of sense, right? Yeah, yeah. I actually think that um, the existence of Pop! OS is a good argument against those types of people. Right, um, I you agree. Know, because, because System76 came along and they said, look, we love what Ubuntu does, but we want to do things just slightly differently. And we want to be able to have, we want to be able to give uh, people support for bleeding edge hardware while still being on an LTS base. And like, I love that System76 came along when, when Zen 2 launched and solved that boot problem and then passed that solution on to everybody else. That was brilliant. And if they didn't exist, or if, you know, maybe that's that, that solution would have taken months to, uh, to see the light of day versus hours or days to, to see a fix. Right. Um, and that also leads me into my other reason for why I think having multiple distros is a good idea. So 
I have a very engineering type mind. Um, I'm very much a problem solver. And one of the ways groups of engineers tackle big problems is through friendly cooperative competition. Hmm. Um, so basically coopetition, coopetition, yes, yes coopetition. <laughs> um, basically the idea of it is let's look at Fedora and Ubuntu, for example. Okay. They're both trying to cater to towards a somewhat similar audience, you know, their general users, right? They, they also want to cater towards corporate because they want to be used in business. But so they're competing in that aspect. If Fedora gets a feature that Ubuntu would probably benefit from, then Canonical is going to start working on either taking the exact same code in Fedora and porting it to Ubuntu or copying it. One of those two. Fedora is going to do the exact same thing. If they see a feature in Ubuntu that they think will benefit Fedora, then they'll either copy the code right over or they'll try to copy it on their own, replicate it. But let's look at something like Boothole, for example. Um, for those of you who don't know, Grub had um, an issue where um, there was a vulnerability in it and it got patched, thankfully. Um, but this was a collaborative effort to fix in all distros. And that was collaborative. It wasn't competition. So the engineers, they know when it's best to work together because they understand that, hey, we're all using the same base. We're all working towards the same common goal, getting Linux into the hands of the masses, making it easy, making it usable on as much hardware as possible. Hmm. But at the same time, we're a corporate setting. We have competition and the people we're trying to work with are our competition. So we're trying to take the features that we see in other distros and bring them over while at the same time helping them out, you know? And that's a really weird way of thinking, but it pushes everyone to get better. Sure. You know, it, it, it challenges the developers, I think, to aspire to better things and to make right. their products because I mean, let's face it, uh, maybe not a, a super viable example, but let's look at, you know, Intel versus AMD in the, in the CPU space. Right. If Ryzen would have never come along, Intel would have remained complacent. And you can say that for any competitor. If there's no incentive to uh, be inventive and, and be creative and push your products to new heights, then that probably won't happen. So when Ryzen mm -hmm. came along and gave them that huge challenge, um, you know, we're going to start seeing Intel rising to that, that challenge. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and Intel, not a lot of people know about this, but so the x86 CPU architecture, there's the, the straight 32 bit that is licensed. Um, and AMD pays for that license from Intel. Um, so they're actually working together on that. And it's the reverse for the AMD 64 because AMD came up with that yeah. and Intel licenses that from AMD. So in the end, it doesn't really matter which one of them wins because at the end of the day, they're both getting money from it. And that's just the way it works in the CPU space. Um, hmm. and, and that's like a perfect example of they're collaborating on the CPU architecture, but they're also competing really heavily. <laughs> very, very heavily. Yeah, man. 
I, you know, I can't wait until next year when we've got a three-way uh, space for the dedicated graphics stuff. You know, yep. Intel really launches their consumer their consumer grade dedicated cards, and then we've got you know Nvidia RTX and and, and Radeon RX, and man. You know what, though? Bottom line, uh, it's a really good time to be a PC gamer. A very, very mm-hmm. good time to be a PC gamer. Uh, I wanted to ask you before before we wrap things up, what are some of your favorite games to play right now? I haven't been playing a lot of games lately because of programming. But if I had to pick a small handful, um, it's always going to be Skyrim as number one. I love that open world fantasy feel. I like being able to swing a sword at a jogger, chopping its head off while I'm blasting the one behind it with fire. Yes. I love being able to do that. Um, Fallout 4 is right behind that because instead of it being a fantasy open world setting, it's a futuristic post-apocalyptic anime, uh, um, word. Words are hard. <laughs> Wor- world? Does, uh, yes. Add, world. world? Yes. Uh, I'm sorry. No, dude. Hey. Words are hard. <laughs> it's okay. I know words are hard. Um, so but those uh, are uh, those are both Bethesda properties. They are. How do you um, feel about the Microsoft acquisition, or or do you? Well, how do you feel about it? I have a lot of mixed feelings. Yeah, um, I, I'm worried that Microsoft will make Bethesda games um, an Xbox exclusive because between the two consoles right now, I'm leaning toward PS5, but Microsoft has been a lot more open toward or a lot more nice i guess you could say towards the open source community as of late um i don't expect them to open source fallout 4 or fallout 3 or skyrim no the games will never be open sourced but i don't i i like phil spencer has always been vocal about saying we're not we're not trying to decrease the number of people that can play these games we're trying to increase it right Uh, um so like i'm kind of I, i i kind of hope that we see the day where Skyrim 6 comes out on PlayStation 5 and there's an mm-hmm. Xbox logo at the at the front of it. Like that's just the wildest <laughs> scenario, right? Xbox Game Studios and then the PS5. What? Oh, that'd be yeah. great. I just hope that with how much they've been trying to get Windows apps onto Linux like with Edge recently, I hope that they start being like, "Hey, we can make a lot of money just by porting some of these games over to Linux. And Skyrim's but been re-released so I many d- times. They could do mm. another release for the Linux version. I don't think. I, here's the thing. I, I'll level with you. I don't think that. I don't think there's enough incentive for a company that large to make dedicated native Linux ports of those games. However, I think it is in their best interest to devote a little bit less resources to just ensuring that it's Linux compatible, right? Ensuring that yeah. the, that game goes to the goes to Steam and mm-hmm. works via Proton. That that is enough. Yeah. And I know I know that a lot of you, I've seen all of you guys in the comments saying, "Look, we need more dedicated Linux games." I hear you, but that takes so much more energy and money and resources than just ensuring that the game being released can run on Linux through something like Proton. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I would love to see them do that. Absolutely. Yeah.
That music you just heard was uh, from my song, Cascade. The band is called Hurricane Blonde, and uh, that is available on pretty much every music platform right now. And you can dig into the show notes for links to uh, hurricaneblonde.com and elsewhere where you can uh, stream it or buy it or share it if you want to. A big, big thank you to Thomas at Draugr OS and uh, all the developers over at Garuda Linux, all the writers at Linux for Everyone magazine, all the awesome people at Voice, but especially to you for listening and for sticking around. We're going to wake up this RSS feed a little bit more and more as, uh, as the weeks go by. And if you have any ideas or suggestions for the podcast, please don't be shy about it. You know how to reach me on Telegram or on Twitter or email linuxforeveryone at pm.me. So I will see you a lot sooner. <laughs> In the meantime, you guys take care and take care of each other.